Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. And welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight from the left, the right, and the center over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckets join me shortly. Our topics this week, the more things change, the more they stay the same. For example, another tax increase election coming to Kansas City, Missouri, another abortion debate in Kansas, and another take on free bus rides, plus roast and toast. But we begin, as we always do, with our newsmaker segment and meet another candidate in the Kansas 3rd District U.S. House race. Joining us today is Amanda Adkins, running on the Republican side. Adkins has served as chair of the Kansas GOP and until recently was an executive at Cerner Corporation. The Kansas 3rd District includes both Johnson and Wyandotte counties and is now represented by first-term Democrat Sharice Davids. Amanda Adkins, welcome to Ruckus. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. So what caused you to get into this race? Why do you want to be in the U.S. House, uh, an institution that's vilified often by the American public? Well, uh, first I would just note that um, I've lived in the Kansas City community for 20 years. And uh, I think that the experiences that I've had, you know, I've really been embedded in the social fabric of, of the community. As you noted, I've been a 15-year executive at Cerner, so I've done a lot of work in healthcare, largest company here in KC. Um, I've been a longtime political leader. I've been a very active philanthropic leader. So I understand the community and I understand the values of the community. And I, I watched the returns from the, the last election cycle. I do absolutely believe that the Democratic Party, that there's a lot of socialist creep there and that Sharice Davids represents that as well. And I just don't think that, I don't think that who she is and what the Democratic Party represents today, that it, it's a match for um, what the what individuals in the 3rd Congressional District believe. So that's why I made a decision to step in. Not all Republicans believe all the same things. Would you agree? Uh, I think you've been very clear. I saw a video of yours on the Internet where you said, I'm an unabashed conservative. I am. And I, I mean, I'll tell you why. Um, and since college, I was I. So the 25 years of political leadership goes back to having been the state chair of college Republicans. So a long time ago, it's been a long history. I think that the way that I define being a conservative, it's very, very simple for me. I believe that the individual and the family, that solutions should center on the individual and the family, and the individual and the family um, should be making decisions, should be in the power seat, so to speak. That stands in significant contrast to what the Democratic Party believes, uh, which is that all solutions should be really centered on the institution of government. So for me, it's as simple as that. And I do think that that, that, that actually spans a lot of people on the center-right, and the 3rd Congressional District is definitely a center-right uh, district. You're not the only candidate running, but if you're the nominee, you'll likely run against first-term incumbent Democrat Sharice Davids. Uh, what's your critique of her first year? I think that a lot of people in this community, first of all, um, I mentioned socialist creep earlier. She has voted consistently with Nancy Pelosi. So um, in the district, when I'm out talking with folks, oftentimes they will share with me, and I believe this, of course, that she doesn't seem to have vision. 
she doesn't seem to have a plan, and she oftentimes um, will not is not responsive when asked direct uh, questions on issues. I think people deserve better than that. They deserve vision. They deserve a plan. They deserve somebody who's going to represent their interests. Um, and in my case, by virtue of who I am, because I've been a businesswoman, I'm, I'm focused on growth opportunity um, and the vitality of, of the family. Uh, because of all the work that I've done at, as, a, as a conservative and as a Republican leader, um, I'm a big believer in accountability to results in public programs. So those are the kinds of things when I'm out in the community, I'm talking about growth, I'm talking about accountability to results, and I'm a mother, so I also uh, talk about building the importance of building a successful path for children. When really I watch uh, network television programs that deal with politics, I hear a lot that women in the suburbs won't vote Republican anymore. They hate the Republican Party, and more than that, they hate President Trump. What has been your experience as a woman in the suburbs? Well, I, I would say this last election cycle, um, both in looking at data, but also in talking with women uh, out in the third congressional district, that professional women and mothers, whether, whether they work inside or outside the home, um, they did leave the Republican Party. However, this time's very, very different. Uh, first of all, I am a professional woman. I am a mother. I am someone who has been an active, active in philanthropy for at-risk kids and families. So I, I live the experiences of that. You, you don't think they're lost forever? Absolutely not. Let me uh, Quick, meaningful engagement. Quick final question. You have been associated with former governor and senator Sam Brownback, either worked for him or with him. Do you think that's a liability in your campaign? I really don't. I, I will tell you that the last time that I worked for uh, then Senator Brownback, I ran his U.S. Senate race in 0304. He, at the time, got the highest number of votes in Kansas history, by the way. Um, and then I, was, I don't think I he's was, ever lost an election. I he? He, no. And, and then I was a partner to, to him and other Republicans when I was the state party chair. And we won everything, federal, statewide, increased numbers in the legislature. So I think people would look at me and say, in politics, that I've had a great win record. I have to stop you there. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much for Thank coming you. in. Come really back and see us. It. All right. You bet. That is Kansas 3rd District GOP candidate Amanda Adkins. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Michelle Watley is founder of the Grio Group, a consulting firm. Dustin Morris is with the Singularis Group in Kansas. Joni Wickham is co-founder of Wickham James Strategies and Solutions. And Patrick Tuohy is senior fellow of municipal policy at the Show Me Institute, a free market think tank. No shortage of problems for us to talk about and no shortage of consultants to solve them. So let's begin. As I said in introducing today's program, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here's a good example. There's been a change at City Hall in Kansas City, Missouri. Recently elected six new members to the city council and elected a new mayor. Here's what seems to stay the same. The call for another sales tax in the city where the current rate is close to 11 cents. Coming to the April ballot, a plan to increase a current sales tax by a quarter cent for the fire department. If passed, that would raise about $21 million more annually for another 16 years. Even the usually liberal Kansas City Star is voicing opposition, saying Kansas Cityans should be deeply suspicious of this under-publicized, dubious proposal. So, Joni, you're a veteran of City Hall, having served there as Chief of Staff to Mayor Sly James. Do you agree that voters should be deeply suspicious of this plan? 
I think voters really need to think this through. And they should be asking how this uh, sales tax increase fits into the larger long-term plan for Kansas City, Missouri. You know, we have to increase the earnings or renew the earnings tax next year. So we need to figure out how this question on the April ballot might impact that. Had that been talked about while you were at City Hall? No. So this is brand new? Yes. Now, the mayor, Patrick, is being criticized for not attending the meeting at City Hall where this was a measure that the city council could pass or decline. Yeah, in fact, I think the real complaint is that he intentionally scheduled the vote for when he wasn't going to be here. Uh, and that's really dis disappointing. Uh, Kansas City is certainly a high-tax city. It's completely reasonable in uh, winter and pothole season if we're getting uh, the bang for our buck and increasing taxes uh, kind of stealthily, as the Kansas City Star uh, said, is, is absolutely unwelcome. Does calling for a tax increase this early in the new administration seem to violate the spirit of the campaign where so many of the candidates, including the candidates for mayor, talked about not increasing taxes? Yeah, I could see how it could be interpreted as that, especially since the mayor was not available. Well, yes, it could be interpreted as that. Do you think <laughs> I, it I, is that? I think it's too early to tell. Uh, I think it was not advantageous on his part to not be available for such an important vote and for it to be one of the first. It, it was a missed opportunity to really take a stand in leadership and conviction to campaign ideals. But again, we're only a few months in, so only time will tell uh, how this is perceived. Dustin, we know that the Firefighters Union in Kansas City, Missouri is a very powerful organization. And we know that the mayor was supported by the Firefighters Union during the election. Uh, do you think the fire department is powerful enough to get this passed, regardless of what the Kansas City Star editorial board thinks? Well, clearly they are, because it's already moving down the pipeline, and it looks like it's going to happen. But well, it's going to get on the ballot. But, right. but is it going to be passed by I, voters? I, I think it'll be passed, because I don't think Kansas Cityans have met a tax increase that they haven't yet wanted to vote for, and it'll be proposed as this will help firefighters and, and folks will vote for it uh, overwhelmingly. But um, to say that the Kansas City Star is on this uh, like a hot take, hot beat reporter is dubious at best as well because all they're reporting, that they're upset with this is that this is sales tax and that this should be some other type of taxes is what they would really like to see. Well, there's some talk about if the fire department gets another sales tax increase, the police department should sure. get one as well. What do you think? Well, if you threw a fiscal responsibility out the window, then sure, why not just raise taxes for everyone? The problem at City Hall is that for years it has absolutely been undisciplined and unable to use the money it already collects, which is considerable, uh, in a way that's efficient for taxpayers. So, but again, if you, if you don't care about efficiency, sure, fire department, police department, uh, everyone should get more. Uh, so, so Mayor Lucas does not publicly indicate what he thinks of this legislation. Is that correct? He won't be voting at a subsequent time. It's already been approved by the council? That's correct. Could he veto it now? I believe that opportunity has passed. Has passed. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to hear from him about his views? Is that going to be a problem? It's, it, it's really disappointing. You know, it, I, 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 certainly I believe we've come out of an administration marked by incompetence. I hate if we're going into an administration marked by cowardice. I mean, this is his job, and absolutely he campaigned on these issues. Well, how did you describe the previous administration? I, I think the previous administration was absolutely incompetent well, when it came to public policy. Does that trouble you, Joni? Nothing that Patrick says troubles me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you, Michelle, are you surprised the star is so critical of this tax increase, being an editorial board that has generally been supportive of tax hikes? 
Not necessarily, because it's so early on, because he hasn't taken a stance. I mean, he's been quoted as saying that it's essentially up to the people now uh, to decide whether this tax takes place or not, but the, the vote is being placed uh, in April when people do not come out and when turnout is low. So is it really um, essentially open to uh, people to make the decision? I think there's some strategy around making sure that it gets uh, on the ballot in April, and that strategy is to make sure it passes, not to have the say of as many voters as possible. Final question, Dustin. Uh, from a political standpoint, what should Mayor Lucas do now? Should he make some kind of a statement about this or just ignore it and move on? Uh, well, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, so I think he's got all the cover he needs right now to uh, let the headlines kind of refresh and reset. You're voting for ignore it and move on? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I will do, and I'll move on. Across state line, Kansans are getting set to do battle over a familiar issue. It is not school finance, abortion rights. This is in reaction to last year's discovery by the Kansas State Supreme Court that the Kansas Constitution, which has been around <laughs> since about 1861, includes the right to abortion. Apparently, earlier courts failed to read the fine print. Pro-choice advocates applaud the court's actions, saying this will protect abortion rights in the state when and if the U.S. Supreme Court, now with two conservative Trump appointees, overturns Roe v. Wade. Kansas pro-life Republicans are working to place a constitutional amendment on the August ballot. Why is this being done, and what would the amendment do if approved? And we'll start with Dustin. Well, first, I'd encourage the viewers to go and read the amendment. We've been hearing a lot from Planned Parenthood and other liberals that this is going to strip abortion rights completely, ban abortion outright in the state. That's not what it's going to do. It simply returns power to the people who elect legislators to regulate the abortion industry. Now, how likely is this going to be on the August ballot? It takes two-thirds of the Kansas House and the Kansas Senate. Then it would go to the public, and it requires a majority vote. So it's already passed in the Senate uh, last night. Now it goes on to the House. It looks like the only arguments that some uh, moderate Republicans and even some Democrats have over the amendment is uh, when it's going to be uh, show up on the ballot. So it does not make abortion illegal in the state if and when it is passed? It does not. It just simply gives the legislature the right to create legislation dealing with abortion? Correct. It puts everything back in place how it was before. Uh, Michelle, I, I hear talk from time to time that younger voters, traditionally that have been pro-choice, are moving toward a pro-life point of view. Do you find that happening in your life with the younger women that you know? That's not the case with, uh, with people in my circle. Um, I think a lot of us are worried about the possible amendment because essentially what it takes is power from women uh, and their decision to make choices regarding their reproductive health and puts it in the hands of legislators who don't have to make those decisions and who quite frankly should not be making those decisions on behalf of women. Um, the thought of putting it on the ballot in August again where it's advantageous to uh, conservative voters and when the conservative voting turnout is high is again another strategy to ensure that it passes um, that does not include and is not inclusive of all voters. I think this is problematic, and I'm really hoping that legislators in Kansas think long and hard about passing something like Joni, this. Joni, what's your experience? Do you find the young women you know moving more toward pro-life or staying pretty much active in the pro-choice category? The young women I know want increased access to medical care and not less, and I feel like that's what this measure uh, in Kansas would do, and it's another step in the troubling trend across this country to treat women as second-class citizens. Patrick, while I'm not going to argue that the courts don't have the power to find 
a right in the Constitution. We've seen the U.S. Supreme Court do that. They mm -hmm. found the right to abortion and the right to privacy. Is it disturbing, though, to you and to others, do you think, that the court suddenly proclaims in a Constitution established in 1861 in 2019 that they have found a right to abortion? Well, it seems to be a stretch. Kansas's Supreme Court isn't the only uh, that's done this around the country. I think there are about 13, maybe a dozen or so. And so the people in those states are reacting and oftentimes putting explicitly in their Constitution uh, that there is no right to abortion in their state constitution. But again, I think your, your intro laid it out exactly right. Uh, the left is afraid that uh, if uh, Casey is expanded or Roe v. Wade overturned, that the issue is going to come back to the states. All right, uh, back to you, Dustin. Uh, the governor has no role in this. Correct. The governor doesn't have to sign an That's amendment. Right. Uh, she has no control, and uh, she can't veto it. But she can use the bully pulpit if she wants to and go out and campaign against it. Do you think she'll make use of that opportunity? Uh, I think is, she, is she not very much pro-life? She, she is. It was part of her oh, campaign. I'm sorry, pro-choice. It was part of her campaign platform. Um, I, I think you will see her out there doing it. I think she's laying low right now. I think she has other legislative priorities that she wants to get passed. Um, I think she sees that this is completely out of her control because she has no veto power over it. Um, so I think she'll wait until it's on the ballot to, to get moving. But she could, during the campaign, get out and campaign against passage of it. Absolutely, she could. And, and that's the thing, whether it's on the August ballot, the general ballot, yeah. uh, it's even been proposed to have a special election for this. Every Kansan can come out and vote for this. So to say that this is somehow an underhanded play to put this on the August ballot is just simply ridiculous because everyone can come out and vote for this and even... But most Dem people don't expect to come out and vote in August, right? Or like... There's, Democrat, the prim there's Democrat primaries as well and Turnip has been up across the board for both parties in the primaries the last couple elections and it's, it's kind of an insult to voters to tell them that they're too dumb to come out in the August primary to vote for something. No, that's not what I said, and that's not, and that's not the case. At the end of the day, we have set voting periods throughout the year, whether it be November and others, that we expect to see a vote. Um, campaigns strategically put things on the ballot to ensure that um, people are not aware when we know people are not paying attention, and this is well, again, another you're, way to you're, do that. You're, you're being you're being very rude to voters and saying that they're not paying attention. Planned Parenthood's going to spend millions of dollars in Kansas yeah. on this. They've outspent pro-life groups around the country two to one, three to one sometimes. People are going to know about the... Yeah. We're going to move on here and just this, we're going to wrap not. it up, but I, a quick question to you. Is there any genuine fear or reason for fear that the U.S. Supreme Court's going to overturn Roe v. Wade around since 1973? I'm not an attorney. Uh, no. Let me start off by saying no, that. No, but, but you don't have to be. But, but I understand the action really is not in Roe v. Wade anymore. It's in Casey. It's the degree to which states can regulate a right. And so when you talk about parental notification or the, uh, at what point in a pregnancy you can terminate, that's really where... Uh, 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 judicial uh, jurisprudence is moving. But All this right. opens up the door to create more regulation that then will make it hard to access the service in the first place and Absolutely. other reproductive services, and that's the problem. And that Absolutely. may be what the people want. And that's the end of this discussion because we're running out of time and we've got one more to go. In the last few years, there has been a lot of talk about transit in Kansas City, a new billion-dollar airport for air travel, a streetcar downtown you can ride for free, possibly more on the way, and speaking of free, we've seen and heard news stories proclaiming Kansas City as the first major city in America to provide bus service free of charge. This story has received national attention, and who would doubt it? Who would doubt that the story is factual? 
Well, actually, one of our panelists today in a column in the Thursday Kansas City Star, Mr. Tui, he writes that Kansas City has not adopted a fare-free bus system, nor has it considered the broader implications of doing so. In fact, city leaders have no idea how they will pay for it. So, Patrick, how did all these people get this so wrong, if in fact they did? They've done no work. It is shocking. Uh, the KCATA, who run the buses, haven't done any kind of study on this. Uh, uh, we haven't even looked to other cities that have tried fare-free buses, like Austin and Denver, that have abandoned them. And they've abandoned them because of cost, because of safety concerns, and because the people who actually ride the buses aren't concerned with fare, they're concerned with quality of service and the, uh, the condition of the buses they're on. Kansas City is preparing to jump into a void here and nobody has looked ahead. Now, Patrick is not the only person who's written a column about uh, free bus fare. There was a column in the Star on Sunday from the CEO of the Area Transportation Authority, Robbie Mackinnon, who lost his sight a few years ago and, and talks about how he depends on bus travel. And he said this, the return on investment in social justice, compassion, and empathy far outweigh the return on investment in concrete and asphalt. What do you think of that, Joni? Um, I actually don't believe that all the public servants in the region are incompetent, and I have a lot of faith in uh, Robbie Mackinnon and the team at KCATA. Uh, the issue that I would uh, go back to is the one we talked about with the sales tax for the fire department. How do all of these different discrete items fit into the long-term plan for the city? How do we pay for it? And how does it impact renewing the earnings tax next year, which is 40% of the general fund? And by the way, Robbie McKinnon will tell you, he doesn't know what this will do. He's said as much in the pitch. He doesn't know what's going to happen. That is no way to drive public policy. Let me read one other uh, quote from him that appeared in his article. And listen carefully, because I'll ask you two to react. Mackinnon, not McKinnon, by the way, it's Mackinnon. Excuse no, me. No, that's right. Uh, he also said this, the money saved on bus fare is worth far more outside the fare box than inside. Now, is that true from an economic standpoint? For some riders, yes, uh, that dollar fifty each way can make the difference in you know being able to get to work or to the grocery store or to the doctor's office. But I think there's a larger issue of um, bus frequency, where buses go, and I think until those issues are solved, um, uh, free bus fare is just the beginning. Uh, but it's not going to overcome some of the greater hurdles of public transportation. So is it worth more not to charge for bus fare? than the economic worth that charging for bus fare creates? No, because they're already starting to roll out disingenuous arguments that this is going to be a boon for the Kansas City economy because all of a sudden so many more people are going to be able to take the bus and who haven't been able to pay that dollar fifty both ways uh, can somehow now get a job that they couldn't otherwise before. I, th I think or if get you, to I think, work. I mean, I think that's a $1,500 savings and that's a lot for some people. That that becomes the, a lot of but money. That's, that but that's part of be, that's part of being money. an adult. That's part of getting a job. That's part of participating in society. I have to take my car to work every day. Should should my gas be free uh, to get to work? No, but we should we should eradicate barriers for anybody that would have them. We have. To we've introduced pu we've introduced in public, public and transportation, public and there should be a minimum fee 
to use that and access The fee it. doesn't even generate to enough revenue. It, oh, what is it, 10%? The fee that we are losing in bus fares is only 10% of the revenue to keep the buses running? So that's, that's a that's, small that, price But that's a, to, that's a horrible argument to say let's wipe it out entirely. Let's just make it free because it's not making pa any Patrick, money. Patrick, in your column you said something about uh, other cities have looked at this. Yeah. And I, I think in your column or elsewhere I saw that bus riders get concerned because there are so many people on the buses there's a fear of violence taking place. So that's absolutely what happened in uh, Austin, uh, Texas, and uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, that was one of the concerns, public safety. And of course, because more people ride the bus, you have to spend more on routes and, and perhaps buses themselves to maintain them. And it's not just a matter of reducing the cost. The cost to support this uh, and increased ridership has to come from somewhere. It so does. we're going to have to cut services in other places. And it is great if you want to advocate that people shouldn't be charged bus fare, but you can't then advocate for an additional earnings tax or for sales taxes because those hit those same. And people. it would cost eight to nine million dollars a year I at believe. least. All right, and now we go to the soapbox for roast and toast, where the ruckheads have thirty seconds each to analyze, compromise, or stigmatize, and we begin with Joni. Thank you. My toast this week is for the interim city manager in Kansas City, Missouri, Ernest Rouse. Uh, public officials uh, tend to um, uh, figure out how to get the civil servants around them in the middle of contentious issues ranging from sales tax increases to um, potholes and uh, oftentimes those civil servants, like a city manager, don't always get um, the toast that they need. So here's one from Ernest. Hey, you got to move along, Dustin. Uh, this week a roast to Senator Elizabeth Warren who was recently confronted by a father while campaigning in Iowa uh, who had questions about her free college tuition plan and reimbursing it. And his question to her was, well, what about me and others who have paid their way uh, through college and for their children? And her answer was, well, tough. Uh, you'll just have to pay higher taxes for it. Well, she should be saying tough to those who have gone to college, taken out tens of thousands of dollars in college loans for worthless degrees in women's studies and others, um, who no longer want to pay uh, for the loans that they were obligated to pay. All right, Patrick. Uh, a toast to Rufus Crosby Kemper III for his nomination by President Trump and his unanimous confirmation by the U.S. Senate to lead the Institute for Museum and Library Services in Washington, D.C. He will be missed here at KCPT, at the Kansas City Library, and certainly at the Show Me Institute, but we know our loss is the nation's gain. Such a nomination and confirmation earns Crosby the title of honorable, which to those of us who know him can attest is absolutely fitting. Congratulations. Hi, I'm Michelle. I want to raise a toast to Justice Gatson with the Real Justice Network. Um, when complaints about intersectionality with the Women's March arose, she did something about it and created the Real Women's Rally with uh, a diverse section of women from across the city. Also want to raise a toast to Senator Foscado and Representative Ruiz in Kansas for introducing the Crown Act, legislation to prohibit discrimination on natural hair and hairstyles such as locks, braids, and twists. Excited to see uh, where that goes and to see women advocate on behalf of that. Want to hear my toast? Absolutely. Yeah. Tune in next week. <laughs> and that is Ruckus for this week. We're back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks for watching and good night.